great to see you in the house today. And if you're worshiping online, man, we're blessed to have you join us as well. Hey, get your Bible out and uh, let's jump into God's Word. 1 Samuel uh, chapter 3 is where we're going to be today. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in your the seat rack in front of you. And if you don't own one, please take that as our, our gift to you. Also, if you want a deeper dive into the message, you can go to our app and go to resources and sermon notes, and the whole thing is there. And a lot of times I have content I don't, can't fit in on Sunday morning. I stick it in there, so there's bonus stuff in there as well. Uh, so follow along uh, if you like, okay? So if you're a sports person at all, you know that the, the major drafts are, are over. We had the NFL draft in April, and then we had uh, NBA and the Major League Baseball just this last month. And and draft day is always a super exciting time. I mean, these athletes have anticipated this moment their whole life, being drafted into a professional team. And it's just fun to watch draft day. You get all these backstories of all these different athletes and where they're from and how they got to this point. But in every draft, what you have is basically the athlete at home usually wrapped around their family and friends and they got the phone with them and they're waiting for the call, right? And then if the call comes, it's usually a head coach or it's a general manager or somebody like that that will say, congratulations, you're a cowboy, or you're, congratulations, you're a maverick, or you're a, a ranger, or something like that. And then, of course, everybody goes crazy, and they're hugging and crying all over each other, and they're just super excited. And it's just a great, fun thing to watch, and you just love the celebration. But sometimes it doesn't go as planned. And that's what happened just last month to Colton Kowser. Colton Kowser was from Sam Houston uh, State University. He was a baseball player going first round in the draft. And so he's there waiting for the call. And a call does come up, but the number is not a number he recognizes. And so he's like, what do I do? I mean, do I answer that? It may not be that call. And then I would be on that call instead of getting the call. And I'm not sure what to do. They said, well, just let it, just let it go. And then we'll get the, the main call we're looking for. So he ignored it. And then he waited and waited and waited and waited and no other call came. And he's like, well, maybe that was the call. And so he calls that number back. And sure enough, it was a general manager for the Orioles. And he uh, answered the phone and said, what, are you not answering your phone anymore now? What is going on? And so, yeah, it was, it was, it was dicey there for just a minute. But here's a picture of them as he's being drafted uh, to play for the Orioles. But, you know, it's, it's one thing to miss a call. It's another thing to miss your calling. You know, you have, a lot of, you have a lot of missed calls probably on your phone. Your phone's like mine. You have a lot of missed calls. But it would be a tragedy to miss God's calling for your life. Now, when you, we talk about call or calling, uh, the Bible really understands that in two different ways. There is a call to salvation Meaning that when, when the gospel goes out, that there's a call of God to be saved, and you answer that call by surrendering by faith to Jesus, and you ask anybody their testimony, they're going to say, man, I, I heard the gospel, and it's almost as if God was speaking directly to me, and I knew I needed to turn to Christ. And, and so that's the call to salvation. But there's also a call to vocation. Now, vocation doesn't just simply mean your job. It means your calling in life. In fact, the word vocation comes from the Latin word vocare, which means your calling. Uh, 
And so that is the this sense of now that I'm saved, what is the purpose that God has for me? Well, what is the conviction that God's put in my heart that I'm here to do this? That is your vocation. And I believe that every person who hears the word and receives him by faith has now a vocation. You have a calling that God has for your life. God's got a calling for every person, a unique calling. You have gifts and abilities and experiences that all shape you into a unique contribution that you are to make. But here's a sad reality. There are many people that know the first call but have never answered the second call. They go, yeah, man, I'm saved, but I I just go to work and I do my thing. And I have no idea why God has put me here or what my calling in life really is. I mean, how in the world would I know what my calling is? That's a great question, and that's why we're in 1 Samuel chapter 3. Because 1 Samuel chapter 3 is all about the call. God's calling on Samuel's life and God's calling on your life and on my life. So we're going to cover a lot of ground. We're covering the whole chapter. So I'm going to move fast. I'm going to punch and, and dive, all right? I'm going to punch and move, all right? I'm going to move quickly because we've got a lot to cover. But let me tell you the territory we're going to cover. First off, I'm going to talk about the danger of missing God's call and what causes many of us to miss God's call for our life. Secondly, I'm going to talk about how to clarify God's call for your life. How can you get clarity in this issue of what your calling is? And then lastly, how to answer God's call and what will be the evidence when you do answer God's call and live it out, all right? That's where we're headed. So let's look at it, 1 Samuel chapter 3. If you're with me, say amen. All right, we're going to talk about the danger of missing God's call. 1 Samuel chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. This is the word of God. The boy Samuel served the Lord in Eli's presence. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare, and the prophetic visions were not widespread. One day, Eli, whose eyesight was failing, was lying in his usual place. Before the lamp of God had gone out, Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was located. Now stop right there for just a minute. Last week, we saw how Hannah... Samuel's mother had prayed and prayed and prayed for God to give her a son. And then God answered her prayers. And she said, if you give me a son, I will give him to you. And I will turn him over to Eli, the priest, who is over the tabernacle, the place at Shiloh where people worship. And you will raise him up to serve the Lord there. So that's exactly what she did. When, when he was weaned, she turned him over to Eli. And so now Samuel is growing and he's living there in the temple. And right here, right off the bat, in the first couple of verses, we have some clues as to the condition, the spiritual condition of the nation. Notice it says here right off the bat that the word of the Lord was rare. Back in those days, they didn't have a canonized Bible like what we have. They were dependent on the Torah, the scrolls, the first five books of the Old Testament, and then for God to speak through a, a man of God. And so there was very little word of God being spoken. There was very little teaching of God being spoken. Eli, the priest and his sons that were just going through the motions, right? They were offering sacrifices. They were blessing. They were praying. They were doing all these perfunctory motions, but God was not evident. God was not speaking. The word of God was not prominent in those days. And I think in many ways, God wasn't speaking because nobody was listening. 
We read in Judges that the people were doing what was right in their own eyes. And they weren't wanting to hear from God. And so the word of God was rare. Secondly, we see the Eli is getting very old. And his eyesight is, is going. He's losing his eyesight. And that can be, and we have to be careful here, but it can be a metaphor of his own perception. That Eli, yeah, physically he was going blind, but more and more he became, he became uh, imperceptive of spiritual things. He, he was no longer had his finger on the pulse of the nation and what was happening spiritually in the nation. And he wasn't even clued into what was happening in his own family, which we're going to read more about in just a minute. So his eyesight was, was going dim. And then also we read that the lamp of God was just about to go out. The lamp was this menorah, this lampstand that was in the tabernacle. It would be lit uh, at twilight and burn all night long. And here it is in the early morning hours. And this lamp is growing more and more dim and about to go out. And that again is a picture of the nation. And its passion for God was waning dimmer and dimmer and the darkness was growing and growing. Just this week, I received a, uh, a report, a Pew Research report, and the uh, headline of the report said, quote, in U.S., decline of Christianity continues at rapid pace, end quote. I think that would have been probably the, the headline of a Pew report in Israel at the time. The, the love for God was continuing to uh, decrease at a rapid pace. The darkness was closing in. God wasn't speaking. The priest was growingly imperceptive and the light was about to go out. What, what causes that to happen? What causes that to happen to a nation? What causes that to happen to a church? What causes that to happen to a person? I think if we're honest, we can say that there are seasons of our life when that would be true of us. That may be true of you right now. That, you know, man, I used to be fired up for God, and I can remember those early days when I couldn't get enough of God's Word. I'd stay up all night, or I can't remember just listening to a sermon, and God was speaking to me, and, and I could just, almost every time, I could just anticipate God saying something to me. And now it's, it's like, that isn't happening. That's not happening anymore. That your fire for God, your hunger for God's Word, your desire for Him is just growing dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. I think when you ask the question, why does it happen? Eli is a good case study. And I believe that there are two words, and again, I can't lay down here too long, but uh, two words that I think um, maybe cause this kind of atrophy, spiritual atrophy. One word is compromise, and the other is complacency. You see, Eli really compromised in many, many, many ways. We know from chapter 2 that Eli and his sons, or at least particularly his sons, were wicked men. Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were, they were priests. They were, they were in the priestly line. And if Eli is older, then these are certainly not young men. These are, these are, these are men. These are older, middle-aged men, and yet they were godless men. They disrespected the offerings. They disrespected God. They were disrespected God's people when they would come. They were only in the grab for whatever was for them. They were immoral. They were sexually immoral with women in the tabernacle. I mean, these are the priests, right? These are people who are supposed to have their act together, and they were terrible. And Eli knew about it, but he did nothing. You know, he just didn't do anything. And so 
likewise, he allowed compromise to be written over the whole enterprise. Worship was compromised. The, the Spirit of God was compromised because of their blatant sin that he chose not to dread. Now, let me just say this. If you feel that light dimming in your own heart, this kind of waywardness in your own heart, it may be due to this very thing. It may be that there's some area of compromise in your own life. Maybe some area of secret sin or some things that you used to uh, be appalled by and now it's no big deal. Or you used to hear it and go, ah, that's not right. And now it's just common and, and you just allowed yourself to become more and more calloused to the things of God and much more open to the world. Compromise will suffocate your passion for God. The other word is complacency, and, and Eli was very complacent. I mean, he was just going through the motions. He was kind of at the end of his ministry and the end of his life, and he was just coasting. He didn't want to mess anything up, so he didn't address the sons. He probably said, oh, what do I do? You know, they won't listen to me. That's my best Hebrew priest imitation, all right? It's not going to get any better than this, people, all right? But he's like, what should I do? They won't listen. And so, you know, he just kind of took this complacent, kind of defeatist, I'm just going to coast through this kind of attitude. And listen, that same attitude can really hurt your own walk with God. If you're complacent about God's, well, well, I may read it, may not. You know, may go to church, may not. May, may do that, may not. You know, if you're just complacent with the things of God, then don't be surprised if the dim of, the, uh, of your passion begins to, to wane. And so here he is, he, you know, Eli is, is, is on the fade, and the nation is on the fade. And the question is, are you on the fade? You see any com complacency in you, any compromise in you? It's deadly, folks. It's deadly. Just ask Eli. But in contrast to Eli, and by the way, there's always, throughout this narrative, there's this contrast between Eli and his sons and Samuel. And while they are on the fade, Samuel is growing. While their light is growing dimmer and dimmer, Samuel is fanning the flame of his passion for God. And while the curtain will eventually come down on Eli, the spotlight is going to come on Samuel. And what we see in these next few verses is how Samuel clarified his calling. So let's look at how to clarify your calling. Pick up, back up to verse 3, get a running start. Before the lamp of God had gone out, Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was located. Verse 4, then the, then the Lord called Samuel. And he answered, here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am. You called me. I didn't call you, Eli replied. Go back and lie down. So he went back and lay down. Once again, the Lord called Samuel. Samuel got up, went to Eli and said, here I am, you call me. He said, I didn't call you, my son. He replied, go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord because the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Once again, for the third time, the Lord called Samuel and he got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, uh, you called me. Then Eli understood that the Lord was calling the boy and he told Samuel, go and lie down. And if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came, stood there, and called as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel responded, speak, for your servant is listening. Now, this is the part of the story of Samuel that most of us are familiar with. If you grew up in church, you heard this story all the time. 
And it is also a, a passage that many pastors, when they preach it, will focus more on how to discern God's voice or hearing God's voice, this is what, which is not an inappropriate way to address the passage. But there's more going on here. It's more just, just about hearing God's voice because Samuel will hear God's voice many times. What is happening uniquely here is Samuel is being called to be a prophet of God. There had not been a prophet for a long time. There never had there been a prophet. There had been the season of judges. Now Samuel comes in as the first of the prophets. The prophet was to represent God to the people, to, give a, to hear from God and speak for God to the people. The priest's job was to represent the people to God. So there had been priests, but there had been no prophet. And so here is Samuel. He's stepping into this prophetic role, and it's an important, important role. Now, listen, you may not be called as a prophet, all right? But nevertheless, God has a unique call on your life, a unique purpose for you. And I don't want you to miss it. God is calling. He has a purpose for you, and I don't want you to miss it. So how do you clarify it? How do you know what your calling is? Well, let me give you just a couple of simple things right here. If you're writing notes down, jot this down. Uh, a couple of things you can do to clarify your calling. Here's the first thing. Uh, put yourself in a place to hear from God. Uh, I, I, for the risk of being Captain Obvious, let me just say that Samuel was putting himself in a place where he could discern and hear God speaking to him. He was in the tabernacle. He was serving God. He was worshiping. He was literally lying down at the, at the foot of the Ark of the Covenant. You couldn't get any more close to the presence of God than that. And so because he was putting himself in a place to hear from God, God most, most easily and quickly and clearly spoke to him. Now listen, the same thing is true with us. You know, if you want to hear from God, you need to get where God is speaking the loudest and the clearest. You know, if you're thirsty, you got to get under the spigot, right? And, and if you want to hear from God, you get in, you got to put yourself in a place where God is most clearly speaking. So that means, uh, are you coming to worship? Are you in among God's people? Are you hearing God's word preached to you? Because God will speak to you. Even now, God is speaking to you through this very message. If you're willing to hear it. Are you opening up your Bible and reading your Bible and saying, God, speak to me. God, I want to hear from you. Are, you. are you in the place where God is speaking? Are you serving so that God can speak to you? Are you engaged in a group? Are you doing things that put you in the best position to hear from God? That's exactly what, what Samuel was doing. He was putting himself in a place to hear uh, from God, to regularly hear from God. Second thing, jot this down, you got to cultivate an eagerness to hear from God. An eagerness. Now, I know that Samuel didn't, didn't um, initiate God speaking to him, but he certainly responded, right? I mean, every time God spoke, Samuel got up and said, here I am, right? He kept going to Eli, back and forth, back and forth, here I am. Now, we don't know how old Samuel is, but most people believe that Samuel was somewhere between 12 to early teens, okay? So he was probably a preteen to early teen. Now, let me ask you a question for you parents out there. Have you ever tried to wake up a preteen, all right? Or any teenager, for that matter, all right? Uh, it, it usually takes an atomic bomb, right, to arouse them from their sleep. But here is Samuel. I mean, just one word. Samuel, he's up. What do you want? Samuel, I'm up. I'm ready. 
Yes, Lord. Even when Eli coaches him, he says, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. There's this eagerness and readiness to hear. Let me tell you what, that prayer, speak, Lord, your servant is listening, is a great prayer for you to pray every time you get into God's word. I've tried to make this a practice in my own life when I spend time in God's Word, not for sermon preparation, just to hear from the Lord uh, personally, that I will, I will say, Lord, I really do want to hear from you. So speak to me today from your Word. This anticipation, this eagerness, this readiness to hear from God, even when you hear a sermon, should be a part of how you hear from Him. Do you expect to hear from God? Yeah, I remember doing a cohort with some pastors and I was training them on how to disciple uh, people in their church. And we were talking about this very thing about hearing God's voice. And we went around and I asked them each to share of a time when they heard from God. And everyone kind of went around and shared. Most of the time it was something, you know, pretty big. It wasn't anything super small, maybe some call to ministry or whatnot. And... Um, it came to this one pastor and he sat there for a moment in awkward silence. And he said, quite honestly with you, I don't think I've ever heard God speak to me. Let me ask you something. Have you ever heard God speak to you? Have you heard God give you direction, speak to your heart? Part of the reason why Samuel did it, he was in the right place, but he was also eager and anticipating God to speak to him. Uh, another another um, way that you can clarify God's call is to seek confirmation once you've heard from God. To seek confirmation. You know, once Samuel heard from the Lord, uh, he, he, he went to Eli, right? Once he heard Samuel, he went to Eli and, and was asking, you know, what to do and what was going on. And he got coaching from Eli on his next steps. And I think that this is really important as well. That as you're seeking to hear from God, maybe you're trying to hear from God on a business decision. Or maybe you're seeking to hear from God on a move. Or you're seeking to hear from God in some conflict that you're dealing with. You see, you know, we all have issues that we need to hear God on. And, and, and when you think you do hear from God, maybe he's spoken to you out of a word that you read in, in the scriptures or through in your prayer life or a prompting of the spirit of God in your heart or maybe some counsel, word of counsel somebody gave to you. The best thing to do is to take that to other people you trust in your life to help you confirm that yes, that is from the Lord. I remember when I was uh, really wrestling with my call to ministry and I've, I've told you this story before so I won't belabor it, but uh, I, you know, I graduated from business school. I had, I had taken the LSAT. I got accepted to a law school. I had a letter saying, you've got 10 days to reply. We're going to give your seat away. And so I'm wrestling with, do I go or do I not go? And all through that, I'm wrestling on, with this call to ministry and whether that's what God was calling me to do. And I didn't know what to do. And I remember it was a sunny night. There were only a couple hundred people there. I was praying and praying, praying. I don't know what the preacher said because I was just earnestly in prayer about this situation. God, what do you want me to do? God, what do you want me to do? God, I, I got to make up my mind. I don't know. I don't know. And um, God spoke to me. Out of John 21, when Jesus turned to Peter, he said, Peter, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know I love you. He said, Craig, do you love me? I said, Lord, you know I love you. He said, feed my sheep. That's what I've called you to do. To, to, to a shepherding, feeding, disciple-making, pastoral role. That's, that's what I called you. 
And I knew it instantly. I mean, I, I started to weep. Liz knew that God had spoken to me. But what's interesting is after that experience, we went to our friends that had been walking with us through this. And we told them the story and said, do you affirm that this is from God? And then we went to our pastor. Do you affirm that this is from God? And every one of them said, yes. The spirit of God within us says yes to that and amen to that. And it was a way that we knew with confirmation that we could move forward. So do you have people like that in your life? People that will help you discern and confirm the will of God. Now, if I'd gone to them and said, God's calling me to go to the MBA, all right? They'd probably say, Craig, I think you need to pray more about that, all right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. God's called me to be a professional golfer. If you've ever played with me, you know that's definitely not my calling, all right? So, uh, but we need Eli's in our life like that. And so these are some ways that, that we can clarify God's calling for your life. So now let's turn to answering God's call. And how did he answer God's call? Look at, look at verse 11. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. I'm about to do something in Israel that everyone who hears about it will shudder. On that day, I will carry out against Eli everything I said about his family from beginning to end. I told him that I was going to judge his family forever because of the iniquity he knows about. His sons are cursing God. And he has not stopped them. Therefore, I have sworn to Eli's family, the iniquity of Eli's family will never be wiped out by either sacrifice or offerings. Samuel lay down until morning. Then he opened the doors of the Lord's house. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision, but Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son, here I am, answered Samuel. What was the message he gave you? Eli asked. Don't hide it from me. And may God punish you and do so severely if you hide anything from me that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and did not hide anything from him. And Eli responded, he is the Lord. Let him do what he thinks is good. You know, uh, God gave Samuel a hard word. I mean, the, the vision that he got from the Lord, the message he got from the Lord is that Eli's time has run out. The season of grace is gone. The judgment is coming for Eli and his sons. Eli had been warned. Eli knew. Eli had his chance to turn, to repent, and he did not. And the time of grace was gone but that was a hard word. And, you know, it says in verse 18 that Samuel was afraid to tell Eli. And I would have been afraid too, wouldn't you? I'm sure he loved Eli and was afraid to tell him this bad news. But yet it took courage for him to do it. He says he told him everything. And I think Eli's response may have been Eli's greatest moment. Because Eli doesn't blame others and he doesn't... Um, doesn't make excuses. He just owned it. He said, you know, God is good and God is always right in his judgment and he's going to do what he's going to do. He surrendered to the providence of God. But this was a hard thing for Samuel to do. Now listen to me very carefully. Just because you are walking in your calling doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Sometimes it's going to be very difficult. Sometimes it's going to be scary. 
Sometimes it takes great faith to walk in the calling that God's called you to do. And there are going to be difficult times, even when you're right where God wants you to be. There is this misnomer in the church that, that people th say, if you are right where God wants you to be, then everything's going to be smooth sailing and, and, and blessing all the way, right? Just, just It's going to be great, 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 great. And, and that simply is not true. You can't back that up anywhere in the Bible. In fact, I would maybe argue the opposite, that usually when men and women were doing right what God called them to do, they walked right into difficulty. Think about Daniel. Think about uh, Abraham. Think about Joshua. Think about Esther. Think about every one of the heroes in the Old Testament. They all had to face some very scary, difficult challenges, and yet they were right where God wanted them to be. And listen, if you are in your calling, doing what God's called you to do, you will hit those hard spots where you've got a conflict, people have hurt you, people have disappointed you, people have said things that are not true about you. Um, People won't respond to you. All these things can be expected. I mean, the Apostle Paul, he was strung up and beaten multiple times, right? And yet, they were right where God calls you to be, and it requires courage. Listen, Jesus does not call us to easy. He calls us to be faithful, to be faithful, and to seek spiritual fruit as you live in that calling. And if you're in that season, let that be an encouragement to you, that you're right where God wants you to be. Just be faithful to what God's called you to do. Well, let's look at how uh, it wraps up here. Look at verse 19. Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and he fulfilled everything Samuel prophesied. All Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was a confirmed prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear in Shiloh because there he revealed himself to Samuel by his word. Everybody knew that there was a prophet in the land. It says from Dan to Beersheba. Dan said the tribe of Dan settled up in the north. Beersheba was down in the south. So it'd be like saying from the north to the south or from D.C. to L.A. Everybody knew that God was speaking, that God was moving, that God was stirring again. What was silent now God is speaking to his people. One of the things I love about that is just the simple fact that when you are doing what God's called you to do, you don't get the credit. God does, right? They knew that God was moving, that God was stirring. It's not about you and your personality and your, your charisma and your ability and your talent, your leadership and whatever the thing is. No, no. God is clearly moving through that person and God gets all the glory for it. And he said he was with Samuel. And the God who is with Samuel, listen to me, is the God who will be with you. The same God who called Samuel is the same God who calls you and who will be with you as you surrender to him. I want you to bow your heads with me for just a minute. Maybe you're here today and you've answered that first call. You know you've given your life to Christ, but you've never sought God for the second call, your vocation, your calling. Maybe you're like Eli, going through the motions, mechanical, drifting. Maybe the truth is your light is growing dim. Your passion for God is growing dim. Maybe there's compromise. Maybe there's complacency. 
Let God speak to you about that. And listen, fellow believer, brother and sister in Christ, rid yourself of that. Weep over it. Ask God to take this complacency away from you. Ask him to take this compromise away from you. Ask him to speak to you and clarify what your calling is. Listen to me very carefully. This calling that God has, seeking that calling, clarifying that calling, is not just for the young. We think of this as only something that young men do or young people do when they're in college. They're trying to figure out what God wants to do with their life. No, I think we have to seek God's calling and clarity in it in every stage of life. You may be a young mom. you got kids hanging on your legs. And you're like, God, what is your calling for me now? You may be in the throes of your kid off to college, going back and forth on the road a lot and dealing with that separation and trusting the Lord with them. What is God's calling for you now? You may be an empty nester and you have heavy weights on your shoulders. What's God's calling for you now? You may be in retirement and you have all this time to serve the Lord. What's God's calling for you now? Seek him. Ask him to clarify it. But if you're here today and you don't know Christ, if you never answered the first call, you'll never get to the second call. You'll never realize God's purpose for your life until you know the God who gives purpose. And that comes through faith in Jesus. And the gospel is very simple, that in our waywardness and in our sinfulness, when we were drifting from God, God sent his only son. When we were silent and not listening to God, God sent his only son, Jesus. And Jesus died on a cross for your sin and bore you the penalty of your sin and your waywardness and your wickedness. He was buried. He rose again on the third day. And he offers new life and forgiveness and purpose and peace to all who turn to him in saving faith. And maybe that's you. Maybe you're saying, you know, the reason why I struggle with why I'm here in life is because I don't know the God who calls And I need to know him. And you can know him right now. I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer of faith. But you're here today and you say, Craig, I need to know Jesus like that. I don't know Christ and I need to give my life to Christ. I want to give you an opportunity right now just with your heads bowed. Just lift up your hand. Say, Pastor, pray for me. I'm not going to call you out in any way, but just lifting your hand lets me know that God's moving in your heart. I'm going to lead you as you're seated, a simple prayer of faith. Just lift up your hand. Pastor, pray for me. I don't know for sure that I'm right with God. I don't know for sure if I die tonight, I'd go to heaven. I, I am unclear, but I want to know for sure. Lift up your hand right now. Lift it up where I can see it. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Several. All right, anybody else? Pastor, pray for me. I need to know for sure that I'm right with God. I need to know. Okay, anybody else? Anybody else? Don't no wait. Okay. Just put your hand down. Just pray this simple prayer. Just right where you are. Just start off and just confess your sin to God. Just say, God, I know I've sinned against you. Just tell him. God, I know I've sinned against you. Put it in your own words. Now tell him that you believe that Jesus died on a cross for you and rose again. Now ask him to forgive you of your sin and make you clean on the inside. Please forgive me. Tell him you're going to turn from your sinfulness to follow Jesus all the days of your life. Now, 
thank him for his great love for you. Father, I thank you so much that you are a God who continually calls. And Lord, there may be somebody here today and you've called and you've been calling and you've been calling and they've not been answering, they've not been answering, but this is the moment when they answer to you. And Lord, I pray if there's anybody in this room that is resisting the call of God to salvation, that God, they would not resist it any longer, but that this be the moment that they are driven to their knees in repentance and faith. And Lord, I pray that that we would live out the calling you have for our life. Lord, help us to see clarity in it. Help us to be bold and courageous in it. And Lord, help us to be mirrors that reflect you to everyone around us. Lord, fill us this week as we go into our week to live out that calling you have for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen.